2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. So hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, would you please speak to us this morning, even through the words of this weak and sinful preacher. I pray that you would enable me to proclaim your word boldly and clearly. I pray that you would help us to hear even the voice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would encourage us, build us up in our holy faith, and equip us for service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the glorious aspects of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is that it is an eternal kingdom. Just as our God is eternal, just as his word is living and abiding, just as his love endures forever, so also the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will have no end. But another remarkable aspect of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is that the almighty and infinite God of the universe has chosen in his wisdom to work his will through members of that kingdom. He chooses to proclaim the powerful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through weak and sinful people. He works his will. He shepherds his flock through appointed men, chosen men, who he gifts and equips for that service. So if the kingdom is eternal, but God works the kingdom through mortal men, then necessarily the kingdom must be generational in nature. By that I mean God must equip his leaders to pass along, pass this torch from one generation to another, to equip subsequent generations to lead God's people and shepherd the flock. And that's exactly what we see in this passage from 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is, uh, like I said, one of those pastoral letters that Paul wrote wrote to the young and beloved ministry partner, Timothy, probably a pastor. This may have been one of Paul's last letters, if not the last letter, and perhaps his most intimate as he writes to Timothy. And what he's exhorting Timothy to do is to entrust the good deposit that has been entrusted to Timothy to other men, to expand the reach of the kingdom of Christ. And 
In a very real sense, that's exactly what we've been attempting to do at Zion Presbyterian Church over the past several months and what we are seeking to do even today in our congregational meetings. Several months ago, you all nominated men for the office of elder and deacon. Those men went through training to equip them for service. They were evaluated by the session men to whom charge for the flock of God has been entrusted. And today, those men will come before you to be elected and called to this sacred office. And Lord willing, at our particularization service, they will be ordained and set apart to do this very thing. And that's what we see in this passage is that we have that charge as a church, and that's a charge that the leaders carry forward, is to entrust to another generation. But what we also see is that uh, the passage doesn't just tell us to call these men. It also gives us a nature of the calling. It gives us these three different pictures of the calling to which we are all called. And it's a picture that demonstrates that we are called to suffering, but a suffering that leads to great reward. Now, all, all Christians are called to suffer. It is a, it is a part of our the nature of our calling to Christ. But God's leaders are called to suffer uniquely and to lead God's people in that suffering. They set an example of the manner and the way in which we are to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this passage, the one thing that we need to take away is that God's reward in Christ Jesus comes through the gift of suffering in Christ Jesus. And we'll look at this in the, over, with four basic headings. We'll look at the power through suffering. We'll see the um, partners in suffering, patterns of suffering, and finally the prizes of suffering. The power, the partners, the patterns, and the prizes. First, the power in suffering. Paul starts at the, the first one. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened or be strong by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. Indeed, Paul will say in chapter 3 of this letter, he will tell Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that persecution comes because of the man, Jesus Christ, and the message of Jesus Christ. It comes in the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to suffer for us. Indeed, our salvation is based on his suffering. Christ suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, to lead us to God. And as we are brought into his kingdom, we are made members of Christ, even part of the body of Christ. And by our union with him, we suffer. And we are given the task of proclaiming the message of Christ in the midst of a world that is opposed to the message of Christ. And so as we proclaim this message, which is a stumbling block, to the world. We face suffering and persecution. 
but we're willing to suffer because we're called to suffer because this message is a message of power. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. This message which is opposed by the world is our very life and our very hope. It is our comfort and our strength. It is the message that the Almighty God stooped down to our lowest state in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of our rebellion, to wrap his arms around us in love and to forgive us in his Son so that if God is for us, None can be against us. And beloved, God is for you. He did not spare his son, but he gave him up for us all. It is glorious. But it's not just a message about power. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. It is, the, it is proclamation of God's Power. It is God saying to the sleepy, the slumbering, awake. It is God saying to the wayward sinner, repent. It is God declaring to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and live. It is powerful as it works. It will not return void. It is powerful grace that God has given to us by the spirit of power, even the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's power through suffering, but there's also partners in suffering. Paul says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this gospel entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. Now, if we back up to chapter 1, verse 11, by my count, there are five different spiritual generations in view in Paul's letter. There is a clear picture that God has ordained his church to be generational. In verse 11, we see the first two. Apostle Paul says, uh, through the gospel, for which I was... I was appointed for the gospel as a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So what are the two? First, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sum and the substance and the center of the gospel of the kingdom. And the apostle Paul says, I was appointed this was entrusted to me. Even the Lord Jesus Christ entrusted this gospel of grace to the Apostle Paul. That's the second generation. But then if we look at verses 13 and 14, we see the next generation. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy is the third generation. Now, if we go to verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you, Timothy, entrust to faithful men. The fourth generation, 
who will be able to teach others also, a fifth generation. God's pattern is to pass this message of the kingdom from generation to generation. We ought to anticipate that there will be faithful generations to follow after us. Now, I wonder if in eternity we will have the blessing of being able to trace our spiritual family tree. Uh, it's, I don't think that's a worthy pursuit in this life. We have too much work to do, but wouldn't it be glorious in eternity to be able to trace our spiritual fathers and mothers and meet them and hear their stories of faith all the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ and to speak with our spiritual children and to see their heritage until the day when the Lord Jesus returned and gathered us to himself. It would be a time of praise and rejoicing indeed. So Paul says, entrust this to faithful men, but this is a message we just said that brings suffering, and so the Apostle Paul is actually commanding us to invite others into suffering. And that's hard. Because it's because of suffering that we tend to hold back. Nobody wants to suffer. We can suffer in all sorts of different ways, and no suffering is ever pleasant. And yet, there seems to be a distinct quality difference between the, the suffering that Paul experienced and the suffering of the world Paul never seemed to describe the suffering that he endured as misery, but he described it as immense joy. He didn't describe it as slavery, but freedom, even a validation of his ministry. And I think if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, he would tell us that suffering is a gift. It is a gift from our Lord Jesus Christ through which God works joy and faithfulness. And we're called to share that gift from generation to generation. And he gives us patterns of what that suffering looks like. He gives us these three metaphors of individuals who suffer in strength. There's the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Let's We'll t take a look at each one of these in turn. First, uh, we're called to suffer as um, undistracted soldiers. He says in verse 3, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Uh, Throughout Scripture, the Christian life, the kingdom of God is described as being in the midst of this cosmic warfare. We are, we are given armor to protect ourselves, even the armor of Christ. We are given our primary weapon, the sword of the Spirit, the very powerful word of God. That um, the, this, this metaphor is, is throughout, but we can't lose sight of the fact that if we're in the midst of warfare, that God has called us to be soldiers even enlisted by our commander, Jesus Christ. This is, uh, for soldiers, 
we must have a warrior mentality. A, a soldier suffers because he must train to defend and to fight. He places himself in harm's way. In this cosmic fight, the enemy has his arrows fitted and aimed at the hearts of God's people, particularly God's shepherds, just as he did to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. We're to be undistracted soldiers. He says uh, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A soldier must be attentive to the will of the commander. He must train his ears to hear the commander's voice and to respond without question or argument. He must discipline his body and his mind and his spirit to be able to fulfill the commander's mission. And so if we're soldiers, we must train for battle. We must equip ourselves with the correct armor. We must be prepared to fight for the sake of Christ and defend the cause of Christ. We need to discipline our, ourselves to tune our hearts to the radio frequency of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to hear our king. And that, that is true for us all, but that's especially true for God's shepherds. Especially true. If shepherds take matters into their own hands, they use their own wisdom and logic, lean on their own standing, understanding, the results can be disastrous. The souls of God's people are in harm's way. And only the truth and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ are sufficient to protect and to save. So we're soldiers, but we're also athletes. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Not only are we in the midst of warfare, we're in the midst of an athletic contest, even a race. Now, whether or not you would consider yourself a competitive person. Nobody likes losing. But some of us have stopped competing. Uh, a few years ago, both of my daughters have participated in middle school cross country. And uh, if you've never seen it, I'll try to describe my first reaction to it. I, I had been... Uh, acclimated to sports by my two boys and the, the rigor of training and competitiveness of football and basketball. And I, wasn't, I was, was not prepared for what I saw with youth or middle school girls cross country. Sure, there were the prototypical fast runners at the front of the race, but in the back, not so much. Now, athletes many times will uh, develop personal goals for an athletic contest, I wondered if those girls in the back had made it a personal goal to finish the race without breaking a sweat in the 100-degree weather. I'm not kidding. But it wasn't until later that somebody said, oh, yeah, there are, there are girls who join cross-country simply for the social aspect of being on the team. And, beloved, we have to be very careful that we do not 
make the Church of Jesus Christ into a social club. We are called to have a holy sweat in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, our Savior, who sweat drops of blood for our salvation. We, um, we race to win. And we train to win. We strive to finish. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We must train for godliness and we must lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us. And our desire to win this race ought to fuel our training and our performance. But what Paul says is that he says, uh, our training, our performance are guided by the rules. He says, an athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You can compete hard, but if you break the rules, you will not win. What Paul seems to be saying is that the rules of this competition are to bear witness with to Christ unabashedly, to suffer for the sake of Christ. If we seek to cheat the rules by avoiding the suffering that comes with being united to Christ, we will fail to receive the crown that is promised to us. So there's the soldier, the athlete, but then there's also the hardworking farmer. As we look at these different illustrations, I'm sure it's natural to resonate with some more than others. And for me personally, this farmer analogy is by far my least favorite, the most difficult for me. Um, I tend to say that I'm, I'm a competitive person. I like to compete. And I did serve as a soldier in the U.S. Army, but I am not a farmer. I'm no good at gardening. And yet this is probably, for me, the one that I need to hear the most. And in, in reality, it's I think, most fitting to our situation here at Zion Presbyterian Church. And there's three aspects of this which make it particularly difficult for me. The first is um, it's painful. Farming is painful. He says it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. There's something synonymous with farming and hard work. Um, when I was a, a young child, my mother liked to take my sister and me to go berry picking, either strawberries or blueberries. And I realized that's not the full farming experience. It's just a couple of hours of harvesting. And yet it was enough to instruct me that I was not made for farming. Somehow in my recollection, every single time we went out, it was hot and it was humid and it was painful. We spent the, the day with knees in the dirt, hunched over, going from plant to plant, looking for these uh, ripe berries. And um, it was difficult enough work to cause pain in my young knees and back. It wasn't pleasant. But farming is also teaches that we're ultimately powerless. We're ultimately powerless. With all that, most of us would be willing to exert hard work if we could guarantee results. But a farmer cannot do that. 
A farmer has to do hard work. He has to prepare the soil. He has to lay the seed. He has to water the seed. He has to watch out for weeds. He's got to do all these things. But then he's powerless. He can't bring about a harvest. The Lord has reserved that glory for himself. He can't judge. He can't even determine the quality or the size of the harvest. Only the Lord determines that. And a farmer has to be patient. Has to be patient. Not only does he is it out of his hands, he has to wait until the Lord brings the harvest to see if the Lord will bring that harvest and what that harvest will look like. And beloved, what a beautiful picture of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our God calls us to get our hands dirty with this work. It is hard work. It's work that needs to be done on our knees as we pray for wisdom, for how we plant, how we sow seed. We pray for the Lord to bring about the harvest. Pray that the Lord would give us strength for this hard work and pray that he would help us to do it with complete dependence on him and patience. So these three patterns give us pictures of the suffering, but they also hint at the prizes that await God's people in the kingdom. To the, to the soldier, God promises his approval. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Beloved, don't you long to sense the approval of your heavenly father? Let me declare to you that in Christ Jesus you have it. He did not spare his son for you. He loves you immensely. But through faithful service, we have a taste, an even sweeter taste of his approval as he works through us that which is pleasing in his sight. The Apostle Paul will tell Timothy in this letter, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And beloved, when our conquering king returns, those glorious words we will hear are the ultimate words of approval where he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. To the athlete, he promises the victor's crown. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Well, let us compete according to the rules that we might share in that crown that has been promised to us. In Christ Jesus, we are more than victors. And we share in the spoils of Christ's victory for us. And so Paul says, I press on to receive that gift of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That is ours for the taking if God would work through us to endure to the end. And to shepherds, to elders, he says, when the chief shepherd returns, he will give to us an unfading crown of glory. It's a glorious gift. And finally, to the farmer, he promises the first share in the crops, the share in the harvest. 
And beloved, it's certainly a joy for all of us. When we see the Lord at work in the midst of our body, it is a time of rejoicing. But when we work with our hands and our hearts to do this work of planting, and we see the Lord bring it to fruition, that is a unique gift that he gives to you and to me, to the elders and to the deacons and to all the leaders of the church. It is a unique blessing. And it is a reminder that there's coming a day when there will be an eternal harvest and the work is done. And so these this joy, these prizes are set before us, this harvest, this victor's crown, the Father's approval, and these things motivate us to faithful service. But beloved, we have to remember that these are not rewards that we deserve for our faithfulness. These are gifts of our Savior that he shares with us, that he shares with you. Only Christ is worthy to receive honor and glory and power and strength but his grace is so remarkable and his glory is so unmatched and his love is so profound that he would share his reward with you and with me as we share in his suffering. And the last prize that we need to see is that he shares with us his strength. Remember, he started by telling Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But I mean, if you think about these three different patterns, these are human specimens of strength. The disciplined athlete, the, or the disciplined soldier, the, the physical strength of the athlete, the rugged strength of the farmer, these things come through the work of the suffering of their calling. And beloved, physical strength comes through training, but Christian strength comes by the power of Christ as he works it through us in the midst of suffering for the sake of Christ. So as we just consider this passage, just three brief points of application I think we need to take away from this. The very first is that we are called to be strengthened So we must pray for strength. Pray that we would not shrink back from this calling that we would receive, but grow strong and powerful in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that God would work strength through us and in us as we do what he calls us to do and suffer for the sake of Christ. That's the first one. The second is Paul tells Timothy to entrust this to faithful men. So we are calling men to these sacred offices. We must pray for these men that they would be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, that they would be trustworthy men, that they would be effective in their service. They would be effective soldiers and athletes and farmers as they lead us in these things and that they would grow as teachers that they would be able to teach others also, and that the Lord would provide for us more men to which we can entrust this sacred message, to share in this suffering together. And thirdly, if these men are called to lead us, we must follow them. We must look to them, submit to their leadership, follow their example, grow in grace as we follow their example, 
their godly example, and we listen to their godly teaching. Beloved, all these things, uh, the this, this suffering that we've been called to is ours because of the Lord Jesus Christ who came and suffered for us. His suffering has given us life. And the goal of the suffering that he gives to the members of his kingdom is the growth of his kingdom, that we might share in that glory. And if we go just past our passage to verse 8, that's where we will end and where the Apostle Paul directs our gaze. He says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Oh, beloved, may that be our heart. May that be the, the refrain of Zion Presbyterian Church. May we suffer for Christ and endure everything for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, what a glorious gift and glorious grace that you have given to us in your son, Jesus Christ, who is sufficient for these things. Not one of us, and yet you have made us sufficient by your powerful grace. Do that which you have promised. Work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.